Good morning. I've been thinking about this and praying about this for a while. I have asked Don if we could put this uh, scripture on the screen every Sunday morning before I preach a sermon, because it is at the heart, the very core of what it is to be people of the book, people of the Word of God. And so every Sunday morning, I am going to ask you to follow along with me if you do not wish to say it out loud. And for those of you who would like to follow along and read it out loud as well, please do so. This, I hope we will memorize by the, by, for the sake of repetition. So if you will, read with me uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The man of God, just in case you were wondering, ladies, it includes women of God. Okay? <laughs> so, you know, is anybody familiar with the prophet Ezekiel? Remember Moses through the book of Deuteronomy, it's just before the book of Joshua. Moses is, has, is leading the people to the promised land. And Moses didn't get to cross into the promised land. They were ready to cross over what river? Jordan. The Jordan River into the promised land. Ezekiel then, uh, excuse me, I'm talking about Joshua. What am I doing? I've gone off the track here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Had a brain cramp there. We'll be in Joshua in just a minute. Ezekiel was given this vision in his commission in chapter 2 and 3 when he is commissioned as a prophet. And that vision, Ezekiel's very visual. All of Ezekiel is extremely visual. He has this vision. And in this vision, this angel of the Lord, for if you will, for lack of a better term, this vision, obviously a divine uh, vision, hands him a scroll. Does everybody remember what he is told to do with the scroll? The scroll has written on it. You know, these scrolls are like 30 feet long. You know that, right? Rolled up. This scroll is written on both sides. There's so much. It's the Word of God. And what is he told to do? He's told to eat the scroll. Eat the scroll. Seems a little weird, doesn't it? The scroll tasted sweet like honey. Well, today we're going to be talking about you and I eating the scroll, the Word of God. So, are you ready? I'll try not to get off track again and go into Joshua too soon, but we're about to get there. But before we go there, I want to talk about meditate. Scriptural, biblical, Christian meditation. In fact, it originates in the Old Testament. The word meditate is, it can mean a number of different things, 
But the picture we most often hear about is chewing or uh, perhaps, in fact, let me look at the title slide, Chewing and Swallowing God's Word. A picture is also drawn of meditating on Scripture that is of a ruminant animal, like a cow with four stomachs. They bring up the ruminant, they chew the cud, and they, they keep doing that until they've, it's fully processed so that all four stomachs can deal with it, digest it, and become healthy. Another picture is drawn of an old coffee percolator. Or nowadays, for those of you who don't know what a percolator does, because there's a lot of you, <laughs> probably, uh, but a percolator just keeps bubbling water up, up above in through this tube into this tray of coffee grounds, and the boiling water falls back down in, and that water just keeps getting recycled in, into the coffee grounds until the liquid down below is, has all the essence of the ground coffee beans, and that's what we call coffee. The automatic drip coffee maker does kind of sort of the same thing, hot water through coffee grounds down into the pot. And that is also another picture that has been drawn of what is meditation, to meditate. So that's what we're on today. And in fact, instead of your standard, ordinary, run-of-the-mill sermon, when have you ever gotten used to that from me? Uh, today, we are actually going to be involved together. This is participation exercise today, where we are going to involve a couple of biblical disciplines of observation, the observation and meditation, whereby we're going to ask a little question, we're going to think about it, we're going to chew on it, just like Ezekiel chewed on it. Chewing and swallowing God's Word. So let's begin in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Read with me, if you will. If you don't want to read out loud, that's okay. Follow along. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Now, I forgot a little introductory part, so let me back up and tell you that right now. Scripture commands us, tells us many places in Scripture, and we're not going to cover all of them this morning. It isn't even possible. It commands us believers to meditate on three areas. To meditate on God, as in Psalm 27.4 and Psalm 63.6, the latter one which we will get to. To meditate on God's Word, as in Joshua 1.8, which we have just read as well as Psalm 1 and 2, which we will soon read. In addition to that, to meditate on God's works, as in Psalm 143.5 and Psalm 145.5. Those are the three major things that we are to meditate on. Hello? <laughs> so, I want you to go back with me in Joshua 1.8, and I want you to take a look and tell me in this slide, what are we meditating on here? God's Word. And what is God's Word in this verse? 
the book of instruction. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. Meaning it's always, you know, another word for the Hebrew word is to mumble it. Constantly reciting it. That's how we memorize. By the way, do you know that memorizing Scripture sort of naturally leads to meditating on Scripture? Do you know that meditating on Scripture sort of naturally is linked to memorizing Scripture? And it becomes part of us. It becomes not only because you remember it, but as you're saying it over and over, your mind has a tendency to naturally absorb it, think about its meaning and its application. So this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. It's always supposed to be on your lips. You are to recite it. This translation says recite it, but that's in other translations it says meditate on it, to ruminate on it, to chew on it so that you can fully digest it. You know that all the food that you eat eventually all of it that you digest and absorb into your body, it becomes part of you. It's the same way with God's Word. A quick passing through on on God's Word, a quick reading, and a lot of it just goes by you like so much traffic on the road. Meditation is different. It is a deliberate slowing down. Slowing down to think about exactly what I talked about, observing it, interpreting it, and applying it to your life. So, We're to recite it, how often? Day and night. So that you may, what? Carefully observe everything written in it. Why? What's the result? For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Now, is it saying that you're going to be the next Elon Musk? Is it saying that you're going to be the guy whose name I'm forgetting now that owns Amazon, that you're going to be filthy rich? Is it saying that you're going to be the most famous actor you can think of? No, it's not promising fame and fortune. In fact, if you look at the lives of a lot of the rich and famous, you'll think twice about whether being famous and rich is such a great thing at all. What you will prosper at is what God wants you to prosper at. What is important to God is that you prosper spiritually. That you prosper. Of course, he he doesn't necessarily want you to not be prosperous in other areas of your life. That's not what he's saying. But in what is most important to God is your spirit, your soul, your heart, your mind. And so let's move on to the next verse. And let's think about the in these next slides. Slides 3, 4, and 5, what it is that we're meditating on. Read with me if you will. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path of sinners, or join a group of mockers? Okay, it hasn't said meditate yet, so we don't have to worry about that in this particular verse. But what it does do, it mentions You'll be happy, there's a result, you'll be happy if you don't follow the advice of wicked, of the wicked. Who are the wicked? Scripturally speaking, the wicked are those who do not acknowledge God, who do not submit to the will of God, who do not 
give any credence to the word of God, who do not acknowledge or give God credit for the wonderful works he has done. They don't submit to God, they don't pay attention to God's word, and they don't pay any attention to God's works. So, don't do this, but the next verse says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So, what are we meditating on in this verse? The Lord's instruction. The word of God is the Lord's instruction. How many have ever heard this saying? That the Bible is the owner's manual from God to his people. The Bible is the owner's manual from God to his people. If you are not one of his people, it's not your owner's manual. You know how I know that? Because if you're not one of God's people, you don't read it. You don't think about it. You don't meditate on it. You don't memorize it. You have nothing to do with it. You don't really care about it. But if you are a child of God, you do care about it. In fact, if you are a child of God, I submit to you that even if you have a season where you're not turning to it, at some point in time, you have been drawn to it, and at some point in time, you will be drawn to it again. And I'm asking you this morning, are you drawn to the Word of God? Are you drawn to Jesus? If you're having a dry spell, and I've had them, we've all had them, where it feels like it's a chore. That's just the truth. Sometimes it feels like a chore. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a world that doesn't want us to pay attention to that stuff. Our own flesh doesn't want us to pay attention to that stuff. Our own sinful nature fights against our spirit to keep us from drawing near to the Lord and in his word. But here it says, instead, his delight, not a duty, not a duty. Sometimes it feels like a duty, but can you delight? Have you ever experienced, by show of hands, have you experienced delight in the Lord's instruction? Have you ever had those quiet time moments, or perhaps, maybe, maybe the odds are against it, you actually having that experience listening to me preach? That's a joke, people. It's not very funny, maybe, but the Word of God, have you delighted in His instruction? You're not always going to have that nirvana experience, but it's always valuable. It's never time wasted. So, meditate, ruminate, how often, day and night. Let's move this along quickly. Next verse, what's the result? He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So here we're looking at the result, right? What is a tree planted by the waters? It's well fed. It's planted. It's planted. It's got roots. So it's stable. It's drawing water. It's fruitful in season. Are you fruitful in season? Does your leaf wither? 
Are you planted by streams of water? You think about that. Next verse. This section, by the way, before we get into it, I want to tell you a little bit about Psalm 77. It's one of the, easy for me to say, lament psalms. You know what a lament is? What a lament psalm? There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. It is a crying out in a season of pain, a season of crisis, a season of difficulty. We have all been through them. Some of you may not remember, but there was this thing called a pandemic a little while ago. That was a bit of a season of crisis, wouldn't you say? An international one. I don't think I need to say too much about the most recent shootings in Lewiston and how that was a crisis and for the families involved still is a crisis. And maybe for some of you here in this room, it is still a crisis for you. I want you to know that this psalm is for you. It is a psalm of lament. It is Asaph, the leader of music, who is writing this. And in this lament psalm, whether we don't don't know if it's Asaph himself that's speaking of it, but I believe it is, is an individual, and by the way, what I'm about to read to you is from a brand spanking new Bible called the NKJV, New King James Version Evangelical Study Bible, Copyright 2023 by Thomas Nelson. And this is a a study note in that Bible. In this lament psalm, an individual speaks on behalf of the nation in an aftermath of unspecified tragedy or disaster. The psalmist expresses his grief that had led to his sleepless wrestling with God in verses 1 through 10. And there are six rhetorical questions, which we're only going to cover the first one today. But there are six rhetorical questions in verses 7 through 9 that reveal that he struggles particularly with God's apparent lack of faithfulness and compassion toward his people. He's suffering doubt in the crisis. Have you ever suffered doubt in the crisis? I have. You've heard my personal testimony. When I went so-called off the wagon all those many years ago, 25 years ago, It was a personal crisis of my own. God was not giving Terry and I what we wanted so badly, which was children. And I was very angry with God. And I began to rebel. Instead of doing what this person did, I should have done what this person did. They prayed and meditated on the Word of God to get through the crisis. What I did was wrong. What they're doing here is right. So he's working through in these rhetorical questions. And in his anguish, the psalmist moves from despair to hope, as is often the case in a lament psalm. And he asks a bunch of questions, six of them, by the way, in verses 7 through 9, which are, and I, it's a short psalm. You can read it later on in its entirety. It won't take you a whole minute. I think it's 20 verses long. But in this, he moves from despair to hope by intentionally, and this is meditating, intentionally, purposely remembering and reflecting on the past works of the Lord 
and his deliverance of Israel at the Exodus. When God chose to act, by the way, if you remember the Exodus, when God chose to act, neither human opposition nor the forces of nature could thwart his purposes or stay his hand until he had delivered his people. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? The huge Egyptian army coming chasing after? When God decided to act and when he decided to move, he did, and nothing could stand in his way. And that remembrance, remembrance of how God had been faithful in his works. And perhaps if you are in a season of lament, if you are in a season of struggle, you need to remember all of the works of God in your own personal life, as well as what is in Scripture. It will get you through the crisis, remembering God's works, and they are wonderful works if you will remember them. Like I said, the Psalms typically, the lament Psalms typically move from lament to praise, and this Psalm reflects the crucial role in meditation on God's person and work that makes such transformation possible. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. I know it's easy to fall asleep with my smooth, melodious voice. <laughs> I used to have a guy that I worked for when I was working in a truck driving school as a commercial driving instructor, and he used to refer to that all the time. He said, it is good to hear your smooth, melodious voice. I think he was joking. <laughs> yeah, I still remember it. All right, let's read a few verses from Psalm 77. Begin with me if you will. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. That's true grief. True grief. And I know you know it. Some of you know it more recently and more severely than others. That's true grief. You refuse to be comforted. But there comes a time you have to accept comfort. There comes that time. We've studied it in Grief Share. Next one. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. Selah. You have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. This is honest prayer before God. God is not asking you ever to pretend to be something you are not, to pretend to be happy, shiny people when you are in fact not so happy and not so shiny. Okay? He wants you and expects you to be real. Do you think he doesn't know your heart? You think he doesn't know your emotions? You think he doesn't know your, what you're thinking? He not only knows all of that, he knows a lot more. He knows everything. There is nothing he does not know, ever, at any moment of any time in your life. There is nothing that surprises him. So, he says, you have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. Read with me if you will. I consider days of old years long past. At night I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. 
This is why I think it's Asaph, because he says, because he was the leader of music. He was the worship leader. But he wasn't a worship leader like we think the happy, shiny music leaders. There was a lot of laments going on. A lot of his psalms, known as the Psalms of Asaph, are lament psalms. And lament for good reason. It's okay to lament and grieve in season. In season, it's okay. Not only is it okay, it is good. We need it, and you need it, in times when grief and mourning is right in season. But he says, I consider days of old, years long past. What's he doing? He's ruminating. He's thinking. At night, I remember my music. I meditate in my heart, and my spirit ponders. Are you getting it? Are you getting what I'm, what I'm selling here? Are you buying it? As some people like to say. I'm letting the Word of God do most of the speaking. For good reason. The Word of God is a whole lot more valuable than anything I will ever say, unless it's the Word of God. Next one. Verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? The next two verses, this question and the next two verses covers six rhetorical questions. Before you even read those questions, and I'm not reading them to you today because I want you to go to this psalm yourself in your time, there are six rhetorical questions. And I'm, I, I hate to be the spoiler, but there's a spoiler alert here. The answer to all those questions is no. The answer to every single question in verses 7, 8, and 9 is no. Let's move on to the verses 11 and 12. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on all your actions. He's moved beyond the selfish, self-centered, woe is me, lament. Now, I'm not saying that to put him down. He's, uh, that is absolutely not what I'm saying. He is lamenting his loss of his relationship with the Lord. That should concern us all. We should all want to know that the Lord and, you know, us and the Lord are good. We should, we, we should be concerned to make sure that we don't have some unconfessed habitual sin between us and our Lord. But here he has moved through his grief, which he rightly should have. And he is choosing to remember what? The Lord's works. God's works. I will remember your ancient wonders. What are God's ancient wonders? Creation. Creation. The Bible says that the Lord's work is all around us. In Romans, something to that effect. And what does it say in verse 12? I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your, why I'm using this translation and I lean towards these translations, the capital pronouns, personal pronouns of deity are always capitalized. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. See, the focus is turned from himself to God. And finally, verse 13, we see the result. 
God, your way is holy. What God, small g, is great like God, capital G. You know, we have a tendency in our times of trouble and difficulty to turn to gods with a small g. Like I just told you in my testimony, I turned to a God with a small g with a capital A, alcohol. Actually, it was a small a, it was not deity. But it was a false god. It comforted me. And I got stuck in that addiction for almost another five years. I'm not proud of it, but I speak of it. Because I know an awful lot of people who have struggled with some sort of an addiction or another. And I will remind you from time to time that the man standing before you, in case you haven't seen all of my imperfections yet, you will see them. I will disappoint you. I am just a man. But I also know that I will boast in my weakness because it is in my weaknesses that his power is made perfect. Well, he's got an awful lot of room in this guy to make his power perfect. You know it. I know it. My wife really knows it. She has to live with me, although she tries to get, his way, get away as much as possible. God, your way is holy. What God is like is great like God. Think about that. Next verse. Oh, before we get started, Psalm 119. You, what does everybody remember about Psalm 119? It's super long. It's 176 verses, which is essentially an act of meditation on the value of God's Word on the benefits of being in God's Word. It is also focusing on the mind of God. And so now let's read this. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. So, God. Things we're supposed to meditate on. God. God's Word. God's works. Okay? What are we meditating on in this verse? Tell me, people. On your precepts. What are precepts? That's the Word of God and your ways. So God's Word and His works. Next one. Verse 27 from Psalm 119. Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. We've already looked at a couple of different verses of exactly what the result is, right? You'll prosper spiritually. You'll do well. You'll be spiritually healthy and planted, grounded, not shaken by every wind of doctrine that blows. Okay? Next one. Verse 48. I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and will meditate on your statutes. My hands to your commands. What, is the, what are the commands? The Word of God. What are the statutes? The Word of God. Right? Moving right along. Verse 78. Let the arrogant be put to shame for slandering me with lies. I will meditate on your precepts. My dearly beloved is going out to make sure that everything is all set for prayer and praise. 
<laughs> Sometimes she does that. She calls it going out with the girls, one of which are one of her friends, the 80s ladies, is sitting right there. Hello, Sharon. <laughs> Best buds they are. Let the arrogant be put to shame. This is a man who has been feeling like he's been slandered. And he's, he wants this to be revealed. He wants to... But instead of focusing on that, he says, I will meditate on your precepts. Have you ever had anybody say something unfair about you that wasn't, or accuse you of something that you weren't doing? That's what slander is. Speaking badly of you. Lying about you. And instead of focusing his brain on that, this isn't right, he just simply quickly, shortly, briefly says, I will, whoops, did I accidentally move the thing? I did, didn't I? I did. Let me back it up. Let the arrogant be put to shame. I will meditate on your precepts. What are the precepts? God? God's word? God's word. All right, next verse. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. The work. Meditate. Think about it. There used to be a radio show that I would listen to when I was driving truck at night for about 10 years called Sila. On in the wee hours of the morning or late at night depending on what station I was listening to, what part of the Northeast I was in. And they would always, they would have a bunch of music, and then this guy would come on with this smooth, melodic voice, and he would talk like this. And he would say, God, and he would read a little scripture, and then he would say, and it would end and he'd go, Selah, pause and calmly think about it. The definition of sila, as they so thought. Sila. Pause and calmly think about it. I remember the days of old. I meditate on what on all you have done, and I reflect on the work of your hands. Next one. Now we're in the New Testament. I know you folks are familiar with this, but we are in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the predecessor to the Christian Standard Bible. It is one of my favorite translations. And I won't go into why that is this morning, but this is my sword that I carry around. It's my HCSB Bible. Didn't have to have it up here this morning, but there it is. Rome, did I already move this thing? All right, now you know where we're going. No surprises. Let's read this together. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So, don't be conformed. It's kind of like going back to Psalm 1, isn't it? You know, don't be with the wicked, the scorners, mockers, whatever, okay? But, but, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How do you think that happens? How does your mind get renewed? By meditating on God's Word. 
chewing and swallowing God's Word, like Ezekiel, by ruminating on God's Word, by letting your mind percolate through the grounds of God's Word so that your mind is filled with that caffeinated power of God's Word. It's not literally caffeinated, but you get the picture. It does have great power. So, what is the result? So that you may discern what is good, pleasing. What is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? So what does this tell us about what you learn? What, is the, what does it say about God's will? It's good and pleasing. It's perfect. Don't you want to know that? If you are a child of the King, if you are in Christ, if you are a blood-bought, born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you want to know that. And if you are not, you don't care. If you're not, you don't care. So I ask you, do you care? Do you want to know that stuff? I'm just asking. I'm not casting aspersions, but it's worth thinking about. If you don't care, I want to know because I want to pray for you. You understand? Next verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. By implication, don't dwell on the other stuff that doesn't fall into this category. We can dwell on the negative. In fact, our natural inclination is to dwell on the negative, is it not? We don't dwell on the negative. God's telling us right there, the Apostle Paul telling the Philippians, don't dwell on that stuff. I'm not saying you just ignore it and again be fake and, you know, one of those fake, happy, shiny people that we the song talks about. But it means you don't spend your time ruminating on the negative. You ruminate on the positive. And... Now we move into James, as we close with James. Read with me, if you will. My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. You can get angry at all the stuff going on in the world. I know people who spend an awful lot of time being angry about all the stuff going on in the world. Angry at what the government's doing. Angry at what the president's doing. At what Congress is doing. At what the governor is doing. Angry at this clown that cut me off on the road here. These people are aggressive. You can get angry. There's so many things you can spend time being angry about. But you know, anger isn't a sin. It's how you use anger that is a sin. Be angry and sin not, Scripture says. But can your anger accomplish God's righteousness? It cannot. So 
if you are spending a whole lot of time in anger about the unfairness of the world, I ask you, are you in that frame of mind accomplishing anything close to God's righteousness? Right there it says you're not. So let's move on. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. What is the implanted word? Well, you might, some people might think, okay, is it the Holy Spirit? Well, I suppose in a way the Holy Spirit helps you to assimilate God's Word into who you are, part of who you are, the way you think, okay? But ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, then humbly receive the implanted Word. We've been talking about how you receive the implanted Word, meditating on it, chewing on it, digesting it, thinking about it, pondering on it. Don't just fly through. There are people who fly through Scripture all the time. If you have to, slow down. I would rather you read five verses a day and take it in than to read five chapters a day and be as we read about when we go further into this passage with James. Oh, by the way, what's able to save you? God's Word. Yeah, God's Word. All right. Next verse. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. So if you're a doer of the word and not a hearer only, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, Deceiving yourselves. Who are the ones deceiving themselves? Are you with me on this? The ones who are hearers only, right? Be, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So if you're only listening to the word of God and you're not walking it out, you're not living it. It isn't real enough in your life so that you're living it. And you can't live it until you chew on it, make it part of who you are. God's Word can't live through your life unless it's transforming your mind, transforming you, your character, by the renewing of your mind. So, don't be hearers only. Do it. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror, and, next one, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. If you abide in my word, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to be free? Next one. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed and what he does. What's the result? You'll be blessed in what you do. God blessings. Okay, we're at the end. It's time for me to shut up 
and let you fine folks enjoy the rest of this day. But I hope you got the message. This meditative exercise about meditation on Scripture is not all there is. It's just a start. Today can be a first day, a first time you've meditated on Scripture. I want you to know that there's additional reading on this subject. Screenshot I took from guess where? Gotquestions.org. And it's got seven articles there on the left side of your screen. Uh, and one at the top on the right side of the screen. What is Christian meditation? These are whole articles. What is transcendental meditation? That's not Christian. That's not biblical. What is Christian devotional meditation? That's an interesting article. What does the Bible say about meditation? What are some biblical examples of meditation? What are some Bible verses about meditation? These are all separate articles. And on the next top of the next one, how can I let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to God in Psalm 19:14. I leave that for you to consider. You can come back to this on YouTube if you want to check it out again, or you can just simply do like it says in the search parameters at gotquestions.org, type in meditation and hit search, and you will get a full in-depth study of the whole subject, reading those seven articles. So I close in prayer, and I ask that God blesses you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God Almighty, for your faithfulness, that you loved us while we were still your enemies. I thank you, Lord, for the instruction manual for your people on how to live our lives, to draw nearer to you. I thank you, Lord, for drawing us near to Christ. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your wondrous works throughout all of creation. I pray, Father, that you would bring forth fruit in all of your people that have seen and or heard this message. Bless us, Lord, because we know apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.